This is Transistor.fm. Hello, happy Thursday. Welcome back to another episode of Product People. This week, Marc-André Cognier from Montreal, Quebec. You'll hear in this interview how passionate Mark is about coding and how he turned that passion into a full-time product business. He does products full-time. He teaches a class. He has the great code club. So I think you're really going to like this episode, especially if you're a technical person who's looking to turn your passion into a product. Mark also goes into how he got over his insecurity, how he made that leap from uh, being in a job he just hated to doing something he really loves. Before we jump into the show, let me highlight one of our recent iTunes reviews. Remember, you can go to iTunes, search for product people, leave us a nice review, and I might highlight it on the show here. We've got Aaron Mead from the USA. He says, man, I wish I'd known about this podcast for longer than I have. I've only been subscribed for about a week and I've already listened to about seven. Justin asks the guests great questions and the guests keep it pretty real. It's been incredibly beneficial and motivating for me to see that some of these guys are just normal people who started off frustrated of all the time like I feel. One of my top three podcasts for sure. Thank you, Aaron Mead of the USA for your review. If you haven't already, check out productpeople.club. It's the community for product people, solopreneurs, bootstrappers to get feedback, to get motivated, and to have some accountability. Now let's get in to the interview with Marc-André Cognier. Bonjour. C'est Justin Jackson ici avec Marc-André Cognier. Cognier? Yes, exactly. You got it. You got it. I know it's hard to say in English. Comment ça va? Très bien, très bien. Bien. <laughs> oui. Uh, we're going to do, uh, do the interview in French, if you want. Oui, yeah. on peut faire ça. Je, I, I can fake it for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's hard. It's hard. Well, it took me a very long time to be comfortable uh, speaking English, actually. I know. We French. should reverse it. I, I should have to speak French, just, just so we're on equal footing. But, but the funny thing is, is now because I talk like you, to, when I talk about marketing and software and this sort of thing, now it's easier for me to talk about it in English because I only talk about this stuff in English. But if like we're having conversation that is outside this context, I'm going to have lots of trouble following if you're talking about like your vacation or something like that, I'm going to like look for the words because I like, don't have lots of friends outside of the like work who, who talk English. So usually all of my life, the remaining of my life is in French, so... You've got two no, lives. Two One, your your personal life is in French, but your work life is in English. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm here with Mark Andre. Mark is a independent product person. He is from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and uh, you all know I love having Canadians on the show. Uh, Mark, it's so good to have you. How are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me. Cool. Uh, so let's. 
we're going to talk about basically, you know, the stuff that you've built, how you got to this point. Yep. Um, so let's start from the beginning. How did you get into building products? What was the first thing you did? Uh, that's actually that was um, maybe five or six years ago when the um, so I was I initially got in the startup community in Montreal. Before that, I had a very very crappy job. I actually was writing Microsoft Excel or Microsoft Access, sorry, type of programs. It was the job was awful, and then finally I managed to get a job in the startup community here in Montreal. It was wonderful, right? Because I got to program in Ruby. But after some time, I kind of got tired, and I read the book. The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and that's actually how I got the idea to release my or to write a book and do my first product after reading the book. So I thought, eh, maybe I just should try it and see if it works for me. And I also got like uh, to me the idea of like you know in the book they talk about uh, instead of retiring later on, like accumulating all this money and retiring when you're very old and do all the fun stuff later, maybe you should do them a little bit throughout your life and not just wait for when you're old and retired. So I thought that was a very good idea. Maybe like um, live a life uh, where you don't like differ everything later on. So anyway, so all of this got me to try to uh, do a product. So I set, uh, did everything they mentioned in the four-hour work week. I set up, uh, so I validated the idea using a very crappy landing page. And the idea was, uh, I was very, I've been very passionate about programming languages for a very long time. So I thought, hey, I'm just going to write a book about create writing programming languages. But I thought, like, who's going to buy this, right? So it's pretty, like, niche idea. Yeah. Not lots of people are as passionate about this stuff as I am. So I just wrote the, created a very poor landing sales page. I drove traffic for two days. Maybe I think it cost me, like, something like $200. And I got... And then when people click on the buy button, which add... Uh, a money number there. I think it was $29 or something like that. People were presented with a page that said, uh, sorry, like the book is not ready yet. Just put your email. I'm going to let you know when it launches. And I got maybe five signups. And I think it was a very pretty good conversion rate. And that gave me lots of confidence. And I realized, wow, like people on the internet are ready to give me money for something that I'm going to create that it doesn't exist yet. And the fact that a landing page was awful was even like more uh, sort of more as a proof to me even more because it was crappy and I knew that I could make something even better than that landing page. Yeah. So I got started and wrote that uh, first book uh, which was called like Create Your Own Programming Language and it did uh, pretty well. So it took me maybe two, three months to write it and package everything. I already had some source code ready for that so I just wrote the text. But it was, it was very small at the beginning, right? Because uh, as I said in the intro, I uh, was not very good at writing English and speaking English, so it was lots of typos and grammar mistakes and whatnot. So it took me it took me forever just to write 40 page, I think, or 50 page, something like that. Wow, that's how I got the first version. I want I want to back up a little bit, and sure. I want to go back to when you were at that crappy job. How how old were you then? I just got out out of uh, university. I think maybe I was. Uh, 20, uh, I guess it was 26, 27, something like that. Okay. Out of university, you took computer science or something? Yeah, I did a software engineering degree in, uh, in, in software. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you're in, you get out of school, you've got your software engineering degree, you get this terrible job. Yeah. 
And I think what's one thing that's interesting, I just want to go to that spot there, because, you know, I talk to a lot of people that are maybe in a similar position. They're working at a job they don't like. Yeah. And there's something about being in those jobs that's um, sometimes doesn't make you feel very good about yourself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. I remember yeah. feeling crappy, and I had to, like, at maybe each lunch or each uh, three or four hour, I had to take a walk because I had to get out of that office. And then during that walk, I would talk myself into, you're going to get over this, you're going to find something better. And I had to convince myself because that was just too much. Like I was on the edge of just like dropping everything and switching career. That was as bad as it gets as a first job. Yeah. Did you, did you have a sense that you were capable of bigger things? Or like how confident were you at that point in your life uh, did you have the confidence it took to go no. and create your own thing? Um, no, I don't think it was it was not driven by confidence at all because I had, no, I'm not going to see zero confidence, but for just to give you an example of how low my confidence was, is I, and then I got that job, and re, one of the reasons why it was so crappy is because the people there at that job didn't care about programming at all. They didn't enjoy it. For them, it was just another job. So, And the, all the people working there shared the same vision and whatnot, so that to me that that was not something I I would not meant to work at a job like this. I wanted to work with other people who were as passionate as me, and I knew that I could go like to meetups, like user group meetups, like the Ruby user group meetup, and meet other passionate people. And there were also lots of they called it demo camps where people could demo their projects and whatnot. I knew about those things, but I was like too shy or too not not confident enough just to go there and meet people. So that was like as low as my confidence was very low. Yeah, and so I just in that place, I because we all know people like this now, and and there's some listeners that are in this place, where I think sometimes they don't realize how much those jobs and those situations are kind of squishing them down and and um, making them not realize how yeah miserable yeah it makes you miserable, and the longer you you stay there, the longer it's gonna the more miserable you're gonna become. Well, or until I think at some point where you're going to realize it's too much. And I think two things are either are going to happen at that point is either you give up, right? You're just going to say, all right, so it's just going to be a job for the rest of my life. And you stay there, you accept the fact that you're not going to enjoy your job and you stay there and just as a, like you switch your brain off when you go to the job. That was something I didn't want it to do at all. Or I think the second option is you do something, right? You, you find how to get out of that hole which is very hard. And for me, how I got out of that hole, well, I'm not sure if I realized I was doing this and that was the reason how I got out of the hole, but I was doing projects on the side. Because like I was not challenged at all in my job, so I, it was also a personal need. I needed to code something that was I felt passionate about and I felt I was challenged about, so I started doing projects on the side. I built multiple things. So I don't remember all of them, but I think I copied like a chat application. I copied Dig. I copied Reddit. Like all these sites that I enjoyed, I copied them. I implement my own version. I also always like love problems where you try to implement something in as little code as possible, right? So I kind of implemented Reddit and maybe I think hundred lines of code or something like that. So I always found this like a an interesting challenge. So I keep doing that, doing that, and doing that, and kind of without, without realizing it, built in a, a pretty good portfolio, right, of projects and all this stuff. And so at some point, how I got out of the hole is that I saw online like a, 
a video ad for a job in Montreal, which was my dream job because they recorded a very nice looking uh, video and it was for a startup in Montreal, was kind of the uh, one of the oddest startup in Montreal at the time, but one of the first to get m lots of money, like they had nice offices and famous people as the founders. And it was also, the, but the main thing for me is that it was in Ruby, right? So I could spend my old days programming Ruby, which was what I wanted to do. So when I got the, I got a job interview, but since I was like a nobody, didn't add lots, lots of experience, and it did, I had no recommendation in the startup community, I was not known at all. So I kind of printed on sheets like the code that I, the, mo the code that I was most proud of, uh, like presented my project. So I built my portfolio, I just showed them this to them, and I think they were really impressed, and I got a job. I did other things too, where I think I applied, oh yeah, I remember, I applied with, um, usually, you know, you send an email with a cover letter or something like that, yeah. by email, so I kind of, instead of just doing a typical, um, uh, what did I said, like a um, cover letter, I did wrote some code that read, uh, Ruby code that read as a cover letter, so you could read the code, like normally, like a normal people, non-programmer people person could re read it and understand, and when you executed that code, it showed them my resume. So it kind of, I think they got impressed for that, so that got me to pass the first step to get an interview, and then at the interview, I impressed them a lot with my portfolio of projects that I already completed. Yeah. And then I got a job because of that. So part, for part of, Part of the step for you of getting out of that first stage that can really affect some people for the rest of their lives. They never get out of that stage. Yes, yeah. But part of it for you was taking this leap of yep. saying, you know what, I'm going to, in this case, it was apply for a job. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Totally. Was, uh, the job, my job at the time also was... Um, pretty hard because they supported me for throughout my study and whatnot so and it made me feel guilty and all that stuff so it was mm -hmm. like not an easy decision at all one of the not not the hardest decision but at the time it was by far the hardest decision I had ever had to take at that time totally. yeah I think this is a good a good just a good thing to recognize that for doing you know something that you're really uh, really passionate about in your case, it's clear that you're really passionate about code. Like you yes. love to program. Yeah, totally. I love to code. I love writing code. So the the path is you have to take kind of a series of leaps. And sometimes it might mean, you know, I'm gonna get an I'm gonna apply for a new job. And uh, that can give you the confidence that you need. I remember I, I've done similar things. Um, uh, I, I was feeling really stuck in a job, and I just started saying, "Well, what? Why not just start applying for jobs while I'm in a job?" Sure. Yeah. And uh, I applied for a job at 37 Signals and ended up getting a job offer. And I remember that the, the that whole experience of going there and spending a day with them and getting to know those folks and then getting an offer. Um, you know, that was all very good for me just to know yeah, you yeah, know I can totally. do this I can I can do other things there's other options and I, I just think that's great to to uh, to identify that in your path part of you getting unstuck was getting that other job yeah exactly well I think the, the secret is that you have to be proactive right you have to do 
other stuff on the side. And I've been doing this my whole career where even when I was in the job that I loved, I always did stuff on the side because I think like that's your that's your asset, right? You're, uh, that's your investment. You invest your time. If When you leave your job, it's just you're, you're going to be able to write on your resume, but that's it. Right? Maybe you can give them as a reference and they call it, but what's going to help you? Is that going to help you get a job at whatever you want to get at Google or if you want to get one on Apple? I don't know, but uh, I think the but the thing that will always stay with you forever will be the projects that you are going to have realized because they know like this you've made this on your own you've created this on your own on your own time you've put your passion into it and then you can also show the result right so you, because if you do something at your job you you leave that job then it, that's the private property of the job that you just left so you can kiss goodbye all the work you've done there you cannot use that to promote yourself later on so. It's kind of. I really, I really feel like it's like your asset as a uh, for your career is the projects and the stuff you do on the side. Like even though like they can become out of date or obsolete, you can still print them on a sheet or whatever you want and show them to people, even though they don't work anymore. Exactly. Exactly. We're gonna get into. I want to get back to your first product in, in a minute. Sure. Um, but I'm interested. Some people say. Uh, don't pursue your passion. Um, what, what's your take on that? The, I think the idea is that you know so, there's a danger in pursuing your passion because it might not connect with a real need out there. You know that you can make money from, yep. or um, you know there's just a danger in 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 making decisions too emotionally. Um, but it's clear from talking to you that you're very passionate about code and. Yep. You've made a living off that passion. So, what's your take on this idea of don't pursue your passion or pursue your passion? Well, I guess it depends on your. You have to be realistic, right? I, I, my dream was to. I think one of a friend of mine quite a few years ago asked me like, "What's your dream job?" And that without really thinking, I said, "Oh, just because I was doing like open source project at the time." So I said, "Oh, I like doing open source work, but I don't want to." like my project to be sponsored. I don't want anybody tell me to what to work on. I just want to work on project without, without, without any boss and people pay me to do it. So that's, I thought that was a pretty crazy idea and he said, yeah, right, like you're going to do that someday. And that's exactly what I do today. Like people, I get paid by people because I teach what I do at the same time. So that's the trick that I found to do that. But to answer your question, uh, like if even if my goal was to uh, like um, make a living out of programming languages and be a multimillionaire, I don't think that would. Work. I'm not a millionaire, but I would make a very good living teaching. What I uh, and the trick that I found is that instead, because I like to create small programming languages, I like to create. I like to create like are less than 100 lines of code or that like those tricks I like to create very simple code I like to refine my code until it's as simple as possible so that those are all things that um, go well with teaching so I prepare my code I make it as short as possible and as simple as possible to present it to people and then I teach how I did it that's what I do today that's how I make a living so yeah, yeah totally I just did with without really thinking about it but I just follow my passion and each time that I did a project, sometimes I did projects, like I had a project a few year, two years ago that I started, was about, uh, uh, it was called Dressed. It was a collection of Rails themes. Uh, it did, uh, 
very well. Like the, I launched the first team and it did uh, amazingly well. I started to build a list of people, like lots of emails, but I didn't enjoy working on that at all. So I just stopped doing that and put more time into things I enjoyed. And I've always been uh, successful doing that so far. Yeah. I think the other thing is, I'm just going to make a few observations here. One is I see a guitar behind you. Yes, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a very good player. I see uh, some some liquor behind you. Yes, that's when things don't go well, that's where I go. So even just taking those two examples, um, you could be passionate about guitar, but unless there's people out there willing to um, you know, pay you to teach them guitar or pay you to buy guitar products, um, and you would have to you'd have to analyze the uh, potential competition in that market too. The same would be for fine liquor. Like you could be a fine liquor, you know, Marc Andre, the Quebecois liquor guy. Yeah. Sure, and, sure. And you know, maybe you could make a living doing that too. But I think part of it, the idea of pursuing your passion, like pursuing your passion is fine, but you have to kind of follow that down, like. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You, you, true. But I think there's something that lots of people forget is that we there are like lots of uh, like you can sell to businesses like where people really need to solve a problem. Where well, I sell to businesses too, but like usually it's people. My, one of my students they ask their boss to pay for the course or to pay for the book. So that's how I say I sell to businesses where it's not really I sell to the people working at businesses. Mm -hmm. But the thing that lots of I think lots of people forget when we're talking about passion and like trying to sell products that are just centered about passion, is that lots of people are hungry for passion. They have a real need for passion. Like you mentioned, the people that work at dead-end jobs, they don't really enjoy their jobs. They have a huge need to be passionate about something, but they just, uh, they don't have the energy. They're just so down into that old that they don't know where to start to get passionate about something. If you get passionate about code, for example, to take my example, is that like maybe somebody who's been working at a dead-end job for five years, imagine that guy who's been like just working on code. He used to love to code so much. And then I come in and I say, hey, like maybe you should try making a programming language with me. I think it's awesome. And then I show it some code and I show it how passionate about um, uh, with this stuff. I love this stuff and I've been doing it for so long and I keep doing it because it's so fun. And then people get like, Passion is contagious, and people pay for that because they, it's like entertainment, right? People want to be entertained. They want to see passion because they, it's contagious, and they want to be passionate about something, too. That's what, well, part of life is about, like uh, having fun while you're here. So, so if you're at the end job, some people need some help to be passionate or have some fun uh, doing what they do. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's great. And, and it's interesting, you know, there, there, I mean, there's obviously different people out there, like uh, Ruben Gamez, for example, might have a different perspective on this. He's very much, um, he's personally tried to be a little bit more in the background of bid sketch, whereas you, you are clearly in the foreground. You're saying, I'm passionate about this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how to create your own programming language, and you are gonna, you, I'm going to inspire you to do this and to love it. Um, Maybe talk a little bit about that, that decision for you to be front and center as opposed to, um, like you could just have, like one of your products is Great Code Club. Yep. That could be Great Code Club with no, like you never show your face, it's 
maybe you have a bunch of different teachers. You have, um, why did you decide to make yourself so kind of front and center uh, as opposed to maybe having a more anonymous type business? Uh, uh, well, honestly, I thought about it. I thought about hiring people to teach the courses for me and that sort of thing. But I'm, first of all, I'm not really good at delegating stuff. So I tried it many times but always fail. So that's part of the reason probably. But uh, but also, as we've been saying, is because I love this stuff so much. I love uh, coding. And some, sometimes I like it a little bit less. Uh, some some like months I like it, I like it more. Uh, and whatnot. So it's not like uh, I'm always like hyper and saying, "Oh yeah, I have to code something." But uh, so, for example, like the Code Club was not only was also part of the reason why I started the Code Club, where the idea is um, like each month I give everybody a project to work on, and I record a few videos just to show people how I did the project, and they can do it on their own too. They can do their own version. So that forces me each month to come up with a new idea. So. I've like created a server, created a preprocessor, created a 3D game, 2D game. So I did all of that since the beginning of the year, and it forces me each month to code something new, which was part of. That's not the only reason I did it, but part of the reason was for me too. I wanted to force myself to get back into back into coding, explore things that I didn't explore before, and also to get passionate again because I kind of uh, lost my passion in the previous year just only teaching and promoting products and marketing and whatnot so that was part of the reason too get back uh, yeah. the passion for me and then also I mean as I said passion is contagious so when I do those things and I'm passionate I truly feel like pe other people will be passionate too yeah yeah I think that's a good point um, is this idea of sometimes to to get um, <laughs> sometimes to fully realize your passion you need to just start doing it regularly and for other people even if it was just you know one or two people I mean I remember when I started product people the podcast at first we probably had five listeners but this idea that I had to do it every week and I had to put it out and it was good for me too like this yeah. idea of like I'm I'm, I get to talk about products every week. I have to force myself to get out of my comfort zone. I have to learn how to, how to do all of this. There was something about that. And doing it every week and having that accountability of having even five people that were interested really helps, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. But I think you make it a good point where you have to set your... When you're getting started, like a big problem, I see lots of because I like I teach a lot of people who are trying to become better programmers. So that's the big part of what I do. And lots of people like they cannot get um, the motivation to work, start working on a project. And a reason I found is because they set themselves like too too big of a goal. They have huge goals. Like I want to create this huge thing or this huge framework. And it's going to become more popular than Rails. Where if this is your first project, I can tell you right now, it's not going to happen, right? You have to start smaller. So that's another thing I try to help people with with the club. Club is that I give them very small project, realistical project, and then you build on that, and you build in bigger and bigger projects. And I think it's the same thing with products. Yeah, I see lots of people they want to. Like you want to do classes right away because they saw me do classes and I did very well. Say, oh, I'm going to start doing classes and it doesn't work because yeah, I started with book first and I started with open source before that. So you have to 
I think uh, Amy Roy has a very good analogy. She said stacking the bricks, right? So you start at the bottom, you start doing small stuff, and everything you do builds on the previous stuff you did, and at the end, of you just realize you have something big because you've built so much, so much stuff before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now let's get back to that first product. Yeah. First product, you said you put up a bad landing page, yeah. and you had five people sign up or five people pay? No, sign up. Sign up, but they... Well, uh, as I said, on the button, like they were kind of, there was a fake buy button. They click on the button, the price tag was there, and then on the other page they saw, and they saw that the book was not ready. So I thought, okay, so at least they clicked the button, they saw the price tag for sure because it's on the button. So they had to click, and they realized that that's the price it's going to be. So at least they were ready to go to the next step. So it's not a... You have a good point. It's not that like didn't pay, so it's not very good validation, but it's validation anyway. And also gave me lots of confidence. Like at the beginning, where I just was the first time for me that was sell anything in my life. So I realized I could sell to to other people, which was a big realization for me at the time. I never sold anything, never thing that was good enough with like social skills or talking to other people to do this step of selling something for real money that would be in my pocket. So that was a huge realization for me, gave me a huge kick in the pants, and that was kind of the start that I needed to build other things later on. Yeah. Well, I think it is actually good validation. I mean, the ultimate validation is people paying you real money. Of course, yes. Um, I think what's also interesting about that, talking about starting small, is... One of the problems we have right now in the product people culture is that it's actually, it's still fairly young, but it's, it's, it's mature enough that people have read tons and tons of blog posts, and a lot of those blog posts would say, you know, I put that buy button to validate it, and I had 100, 200, 1,000, 5,000 people click it. In your case, you had five people click it, and for you, that was enough validation to, to get going. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because sure, I, but I think you I should not. This should not be misleading because I think there's a purpose for validation. Lots of people hate on validation, but I think there's a specific purpose. And the purpose of validation is not to get leads or prospect. Not at all. That's not the the, the goal of validation. Validation is to check that your offer converts. That's the only trick you're trying to do here. You're not trying to collect leads or qualify them, whatever you're you're trying to do. So the you're trying to do with when you're validating with a landing page, you're just trying to check, does my offer convert with anybody on the, or my target market anywhere anywhere on the internet? That's why it's so good to do it with paid traffic, right? Yeah. So, but usually, so I would do this if you don't have an audience, but also if you're really not sure it's the first product you're doing, probably if you wanna, don't want to piss off your audience, maybe you should try it. But, uh, but I also... Uh, I did this like uh, five years ago, so the landscape changed a lot today. So if you want to do a ebook now today, it's a lot less risky than it was five years ago. Like five years ago, trying to sell an ebook at forty dollars was kind of a new thing, and people were upset. Like when I announced the book, that it was forty dollars for a fifty-page PDF. Yeah. Uh, so, but today, if you were, I think, if you were to release a 50-page PDF at $40, people would say, "Oh, it's a little bit expensive, but okay, maybe it's good." All right. So the perception has changed a lot in five years, I think. Yeah. Um, what else were you doing while you were while you were writing it? Were you promoting it? Were did you have a, a launch list nope. going? Not at all. Not at all. I knew nothing about marketing and launches at the time. Not at all. So I didn't even add like an email list. 
a zero. So, but what I add, which was uh, pretty uh, considerable, I think, was uh, not, that's going to feel like I'm bragging, but my reputation. But let me explain, right? Because I wrote, I was uh, kind of lucky at the right time, right place at the right time. I wrote Tin, which was a po very popular web server at the time. It got used as the foundation of Heroku, so I kind of had a very good reputation at the time in the Ruby community. And that's how I, like, when I, the only thing I did when I launched the book is I announced it on Twitter, and it, the ball started rolling from there. That's it. That's all I did. I just sent one tweet, and then I... I think I made it in the first few months uh, $6,000 or something like in the first uh, few, which is, when I talk about it, think about it today, it's not much today, but back in the day, to me, it was like, wow, $6,000 that I made for the first time that I sold something online as an ebook was huge for me. It was yeah, huge. that's awesome. I And I think the other, I, I was just talking about this with, uh, I can't remember, I think someone was interviewing me on a podcast, and my friend Dan Martell, you know Dan Martell from Clarity? Yeah. Dan, I mean, Dan has done amazing, right? He's yeah. he's done better than all of us combined, and um, in his world, he says, you know, if you can get one person to show up on the internet and pay you a dollar, that's amazing. And I, what I like about that is he's recognizing that, you know, <laughs> There's there's some success in even just creating something and putting it online and having anyone buy it, and I think the other risk we're at right now is that you know first time product people when they release their first thing they're expecting to do twenty or thirty or forty thousand dollars on launch day, which could happen, but yeah, it could happen. But you need to like have some. Uh, you need to have done something before that was either even bigger than what you're doing now or comparable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not if you never did open source, you never wrote any blog posts, there's no way in hell you're going to make like $40,000 on your launch. But if you did like some, even if you don't have an email list, but you have been writing blog posts or I don't want to be specific, but if you've been putting out values to people, helping people for years, and you're really helping people and putting values out there, it's pretty sure you're going to make lots and lots of money when you launch. That's not about just like building email lists. It's about like you get back you get back the value that you put uh, you put first, right? So mm -hmm. you first have to give before you receive. So if you've been giving for years without realizing it, which was what I did with open source, I was doing open source because I really enjoyed the code. Uh, the, the, the following I've been getting, the, um, the value I've been putting out there with my open source work has paid off the day that I launched my ebook. It has been still paying off today, right? People take my courses only because I wrote, but the, like, this it's just about passion. Like people love programming languages. It's also about, once again, about understanding how your tools work. Like we use programming languages all the time. So it's a very uh, interesting experience and very rewarding and very important experience to understand how your tools are built inside. The fact that it's not magic, right? So it's a lexer, a parser, a runtime, whatnot. They all fit, fit together. And that thing has been the same for 40 years. Like what hasn't changed in 40 years in software? Like programming languages, the way they're built hasn't changed in 40 years. So I think it's a pretty fascinating world to look into and can teach you a lot of things. Yeah. I like how you mentioned that there's two motivations there. There's the motivation of the individual programmer, which is that individual programmer wants to learn, he wants to be passionate, he wants to you know, push himself to beyond where he is at right now. Yep. Uh, the boss 
you know, she is thinking how I want to keep my people happy. I want to make more money. I want to save time. I want to keep these employees around for a long time. And so you're, you're dealing with different motivations. Uh, yep. And it's important to realize that. Like, yeah, for, for the individual developer, you're going, to, you're going to be selling this. But if their boss emails you and says, you know, what's in it for me? You have to be able to say, well, here are some things, here are some things, some ways this could help you in the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's also in the way you're going to design. That's going to drive the way you design the sales page, the way you you launch your products. You have to think about this a lot too. Uh, so if you, for example, if you go look at my owning Rails page and my uh, page for my Great Code Club, you're going to see like the theme is quite different. Where the Co Great Code Club is more about like passion and helping people and that sort of thing. Where owning Rails feels more formal, where it's like you have testimonials, a logo of a big company, and like a, it's very like a structured way where I feel like the Great Code Club is more a letter to somebody reading, and if you read it from top to bottom, it's really going to be like, give, it should, at least that's the goal, it's going like to give you an emotion or something, you feel, oh, right, yeah, that's right, yes, he's on to something, and then he's, you're going to subscribe or get on the list because of that emotional reaction. Yeah, well, exactly. only I feel it's more like, People need to reflect because the price is higher. So it's going to be. I uh, only Rails is more. I try to provide proof that it works. Where Great Code Club, I try to get people on the list by just inspiring them. Yeah, yeah. If anyone is listening and you want to see the difference between the two marketing approaches, this is a great case study actually. So go to owningrails.com. That's the one, and then go to greatcodeclub.com. And look at the difference between those two approaches. Um, they are very different. And uh, I think people could benefit from seeing how you market to different audiences. I think that's really great. Yeah. Hey, hey, Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Sure. I really enjoyed your perspective. Uh, I think what you're doing is great. What, where can people find you online besides those two sites I just mentioned? Uh, I think on Twitter is the best place right now. Uh, so just Twitter, M-A-C-O-U-R-N-O-Y-E-R. -E so I'm going to put it, I guess, in the show notes. It's yeah, my, I'll put uh, it in the show notes. my last name, French-Canadian name. So yeah, that's the best way to find me. Perfect. Great. Thanks again, Mark. My pleasure. Okay, talk to you soon. Sure. Whoa, there we go. That was Marc-Andre Cognier. Such a great interview. Uh, I really like his insight about, especially serving different markets. You can have a market that is you know, made up of individuals who are highly motivated personally to improve themselves. And you can also have a market of businesses who will pay money to you know, make things better, to make things, uh, to save money, save time, or make money. So for sure, go and check Mark out. Uh, the show notes are up at productpeople.tv. If you haven't already, sign up for my product newsletter, justinjackson.ca slash newsletter. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm the letter M, the letter I, and Justin, M-I, Justin. And you can follow the show on Twitter as well, at productpeopletv. That's it for this week. 
I am so glad you spent your time listening to this week's episode. Come back next week. I'll have another one for you. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.